Hey friends, welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey Hickman Hunter. I am Audrey and I am your host. I am so happy that you're all here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Every other Tuesday, we have an awesome guest come on and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player so you guys will never miss an episode. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. How are you all doing? Outside as I'm recording, I realized last time it was snowing and this time as I'm preparing the podcast, it's also snowing. Some nice big fluffy snowflakes are coming down and I'm just loving it. It's making me want to either go for a drive to hit up some ski slopes or cozy up on the couch to watch the snowfall with maybe a movie in the background. Which type do you prefer? The outdoor winter activity or indoor cozy situation or both? Friends, if you are interested in being in a small group setting for listening, discussion, and action work with a main focus on racial injustice and racial reconciliation, I would invite you to consider joining my book club. Our February book selection is Make Change, How to Fight Injustice, Dismantle Systemic Oppression, and Own Our Own Future by Sean King. If you're interested in enjoying the conversation, our next book club meeting will be on Tuesday, February 16th at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. DM us on our social medias at No Wrong Turns Pod or email us at norongturnspod at gmail.com for more info. Listeners, today we have our 32nd episode and our guest is my friend, Reverend Emily Scatterday Houlihan. When Emily was in middle school, she knew that God was calling her to become a pastor. Emily shares about how she navigated deciding on her college and her majors as they would then help propel her into her next step of life of living in the Dominican Republic to work with Young Life. I met Emily through Young Life in the DR. Emily then shares her seminary journey and beyond with us. Also, a small disclaimer that this episode was recorded in October of 2020 before the election. Towards the end of the interview, Emily shares some solid pastoral words in regards to politics, as well as several great resources to take some next steps forward. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing Emily's story as she highlights her passions of ministry, Spanish, and being a reverend. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to her or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Emily. Welcome to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Emily Scatterday Houlihan. Welcome to the podcast, Rev. Hey, thanks, Audrey. (laughs) Awesome. Can you give us just a second little nutshell of who you are and just introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. So I am Emily and I'm originally from Geneva, Illinois, but I currently live in Holland, Michigan. I grew up in Geneva. I have two little sisters and I went to college at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. And then I actually worked in the Dominican Republic with Young Life for five years. And I've been back in Holland for a little bit over five years. And I currently serve as the pastor of flourishing 
at a church called Maple Avenue Ministries in Holland. And we are a multiracial congregation that is centered in Christ and called to the city of Holland and committed to being a community that's reconciled to one another um, and to God in a multiracial fashion. And I've been there for about a year and a half. So that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. Oh, I also have two wonderful children. <laughs> and a husband. And a husband <laughs> who I love dearly. Awesome. All right. I have to ask you, we might get into this later, but the first question I have for you is when you said pastor of flourishing, what does that mean? Yeah. So it's a really great question. So I'm basically an associate pastor. Okay. Um, it's I'm the associate pastor to our lead pastor, whose title is Pastor of Embracing. Um, I like these titles. Right? And so my job is centered around ways to help members of our congregation and the church itself to flourish. And so I do everything from human resources to congregational care to helping our committees and teams run smoothly, to all kinds of details within Mm -hmm. the church and our community so that our pastor, who is a brilliant prophet and visionary, can kind of dream big. And then I come underneath her with the details, uh, the details of of running the church and having our congregation. Awesome. I really like these titles. It sounds way better than associate pastor, which is a great job to have. Exactly. But this, it just puts a breath of life. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is what we thought and is descriptive of what we do. So awesome. All right. Well, let's go back in time, back to Geneva, Illinois. Can you tell us a little bit about what life was like? I know you mentioned you have two younger sisters. Can you tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up for all of you and maybe some hobbies or any life events that you feel like shaped you during that time? Yeah. Let's see. Growing up in Geneva, Illinois, it's your pretty classic white middle-class family in the suburbs, mom, dad. I was the oldest of three and my youngest sister is younger than me by 10 years and is adopted from China. And so growing up, we were the scattered girls and mm-hmm. yeah, let's see. Our family was one that frequented church a lot. Growing up, I was at church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and, and sometimes Mondays or Thursdays, mm-hmm. just depending on what was going on. My mom volunteered a lot and my dad was part of the worship band and choir and and such. And so, so were we, we were part of those things, volunteered a lot. And so church was a huge part of my upbringing. We also played soccer and I mean, if you're going back, you know, to the early nineties or late (laughs) eighties, I mean, I was in dance and, but I don't, (laughs) I did not flourish in that way. (laughs) Let's see what else. Yeah, I guess I just, I spent a lot of time playing outside with uh, friends in the neighborhood and with my sisters and yeah, loving, loving my middle-class suburban life. Awesome. 
So did you stay in the same place when you started high school or was there any change between your growing up years in that respect? Nope. I lived in Geneva, Illinois from the time I was like a year old. Um, I moved about like two miles from one town to the other. And then my mom actually still lives in Geneva. So, so yeah, I lived there my entire upbringing up until I was 18. So when you were in high school, what were some things that you were interested in? Were you still interested in going to church and in, did you have like extracurriculars, like sports or anything that you were into? Yeah. So I was a really involved high school student. I, as far as church, I was definitely still involved with my faith, but I took it a little different turn. I think when I was in eighth grade or early high school, there was a schism in the church that I had grown up in. Mm -hmm. And, and so my family left the church and before we had really found another place to be, I had gotten invited to Young Life and started attending Young Life. I actually was brought to my first Young Life club by a senior whose parents were friends with mine and she drove a red convertible. And so she picked me up as I was a freshman and she was a senior and brought me to my first Young Life club. Well, arriving in style. Right. I know. So anyway, so Young Life became a place where I could live out my faith and invite friends. And I eventually, my family eventually found a church later in high school, but it was never the same. And so Young Life in that respect kind of became my um, faith community and Mm -hmm. faith growth development. In addition to all of that, let's see, I played soccer. I was on the freshman and the JV soccer team. I also was very into uh, music. I played uh, the oboe in the high school band and orchestra and the tenor saxophone in the marching band. I also learned how to play the clarinet and the English horn. I was kind of a band nerd. Wow, that's Um, a lot of instruments. Yeah. And so I taught piano lessons and guitar lessons. Okay, that's like six, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't play them all anymore. But music and that kind of, that community of the band was a huge part of my high school career as well. And then I actually was also in student government when I was this, I, I served as class representative and in student council. And then my senior year, I was president of student council. Of the student oh, wow. Body. Prestigious. So, I know. So it feels like so long ago to talk about now, but I, I think that was my high school me. <laughs> so when you were getting towards the end of your high school, like junior, senior years, do you have like an expectation from your parents about what you would do next, whether it be like go to college or to a trade school or start working right away? Do they have any expectations for you? Did you have any expectations or did you kind of, did you know what you wanted to do next? Yeah, I I don't ever remember questioning whether or not I would go to a four-year college. 
I think that was just kind of the expectation mm-hmm. of my parents and my community and for myself. Yeah, I can't even remember ever questioning that I would that I would do that. It was kind of it was a given. It seemed like you had a couple of different interests, big interests when you were in high school. Did any of those make the cut for you to decide this was going to be part of your college major or minor or something like that? Did any of those things factor in to you kind of look, doing your college search? Yeah. So my mom tells me that she remembers when I, I was, she knew when I was seven years old that I was going into ministry. I mean, I, and I remember from a very young age, just wanting to be a pastor. Was there an event or something that happened when you were seven or just God gave her a little epiphany or heads up? (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm, I don't, think there was any, you know, big event or the skies opened or anything. I just, I think it just was clear. And I've kind of felt that, yeah, ever since being in elementary school, kind of knowing that I wanted to be a pastor. And so I figured that I would major in religion or theology or whatever that was at whatever I got to ask you a question, pause you and ask you a question real quick. Yeah. So when you were growing up, for for me, when I was growing up, I actually went to churches that had female pastors, but later on in life, people thought that was weird or strange, but I'm just curious based off of my experience, I'm not trying to impress it on you, but I'm just curious, what was life like growing up for you? Did you have those kind of female role models and those pastoral positions, or was this something new and a little bit out of the box? Yeah. So in my church growing up, we had an associate pastor who was a woman and she was the associate pastor because of her age and seniority at the church, not because she was a woman, you know? And so I actually didn't know that women quote, can't be pastors quote Mm -hmm. until I went to college saying I was in, yeah, I was in some, I was in a religion class and some guy was telling me I couldn't be what I thought God was calling me to be. And I was like, um, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. (laughs) And yeah. And so I've continued to face that notion as I went through college and then was in ministry with you and, and then even through seminary, but the place I'm in now where I serve as a pastor, I'm actually serving with our, our lead pastor is a black woman and she has been there for about 11 or 12 years. And so in my congregation, to be a woman and to be a pastor is kind of synonymous. There's no question of our calls to be a pastor. And I just, I really appreciate that because while some women are called to trailblaze in, in the church and, and kind of foster the conversation with those who don't agree, I sometimes don't have the patience for that because I've known since I was seven and I didn't grow up in a congregation or a church that ever questioned my call. So I don't understand why people would question it now. Today's episode is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients. They are a disruptive notion that has sparked a creation of a new healthy snacking category. 
Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and that is why we're teaming up with Kind to bring our listeners 10% off or 15% off if you're a military, teacher, or student, first responder, doctors, and nurses. You can go to podgo.co backslash kind, that is P-O-D-G-O dot C-O backslash K-I-N-D for 10 to 15% off. Two of my favorites are the peanut butter dark chocolate and the dark chocolate nuts and sea salt. You might be able to tell I kind of have a thing for dark chocolate. So good. Kind Bar is creating a kinder, healthier world, one act and one snack at a time. All right, back to Emily's story. So when you were in, when you were deciding what college to go to, so you were choosing a school based on wanting to study the Bible or just get best equipped for ministry, or I don't want to put these words in yeah. your mouth, but yeah. how did you, how did you kind of determine that down? I kind of sidetracked you, but no, that's uh, okay. Yeah. So I thought that I would want to major in religion and minor in Spanish mm-hmm. and music. Cause I also, I loved Spanish and I loved Latin America at that point, I had actually been to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, and I knew I wanted to live there. <laughs> and so, so I was looking for a place that could foster all of those things. And, and at the time, my mom would do random, like, internet searches, <laughs> and she put in Young Life, which I was a part of, mm-hmm. and Dominican Republic because we had, I had just traveled with her there. And the first thing that came up was Hope College students. And I was actually looking at Hope College at the time. Hmm. Uh, Hope College students who were young life leaders were going to the Dominican Republic. And that was like the first thing that popped up on Google. So that's how I ended up at Hope College. And once I got there, I realized that I could play music without studying it but I couldn't speak Spanish without studying. (laughs) Uh, So I switched from minors in Spanish and music to simply a major in Spanish in addition to my religion major. Oh, cool. So a double major. Right. And I just continued to play music on my own uh, on the side. That's awesome. So when you were in college studying religion and studying Spanish, did you have any highlights or any other kind of passions that developed or hobbies or any milestones that you want to highlight for us? Yeah. So I was a part of residential life. I was a, an RA and then in my last two years in college, I was an RA who oversaw other RAs. Uh, we call them neighborhood coordinators. <laughs> and, and so I really, I really enjoyed my time with residential life because I really like meeting people, being with people and fostering community. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I kind of discovered or was more able to embody in college through, through that opportunity. I also just found new ways to live out my faith 
and also incorporate things that I love. I got to participate in a Spanish chapel service that happened weekly um, where I got to play my guitar and (laughs) sing songs, sing worship songs in Spanish. And that was really fun. And actually, I meant to say this earlier, but one of the reasons I ended up at Hope College was because it was a place where I could study religion and Spanish and music if I had wanted to. But the spiritual aspect wasn't forced on students, which I really liked. They have a chapel service that's three times a week and over half the campus attends, but it's not mandatory. And I just, Mm. I really enjoyed the commitment to want to be there, but then also to have other ideas and faiths and represented among the students. So yeah, that's awesome. At my school, we had to go to chapel, but I worked security. So sometimes I would just work for that hour <laughs> yeah, to make some more money. Got to make that just, money. <laughs> I might go to like, then you get chapel exempt or whatever, but you'd have to like, literally my first year, you have to literally, it was like a piece of paper, go and cross your name out <laughs> Wow. and then like run to your seat. But yeah, that's when you said that wasn't mandatory. I was like, hmm, I wonder what, like, I think a lot of people would have had a different attitude towards chapel if, you know, not mandatory. Yeah. And that's what I've experienced. Not that mandatory chapel is bad. Yeah. um, Or that. that. Just different. It's just different. Yeah. I was going to ask during your college years, because you had started and you were involved with Young Life in high school, and then your mom had done her Google search and Young Life was connected to your college. Was that a part of your college experience at all? It was. It was a, it was a large part of my college experience. So I was a, a leader in a nearby town at the high school for four years uh, while I was in That's college. Awesome. And yeah, it was a huge part. It was obviously a really great way to grow in my faith and to mentor and disciple uh, middle school and college students, but also got me out into the community and out of the Hope College bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to meet adults in the community (laughs) and get off campus and be a part of the larger world outside of taking classes and being with friends. That's awesome. So when you were in, I don't know, maybe your senior year, or maybe you had ideas starting in your junior year, did you know, or I assume it just took you four years. Is that correct? Yes. Sometimes I know people, it takes them, you know, longer or shorter. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So in your last year or two, did you have any kind of ideas or any thoughts about what was going to come next for you? Did you know if you were just going to go home back to Illinois or if you wanted to stay in Michigan or was there anything kind of moving you along any kind of direction? Yeah. So I wanted to work for Young Life in the Dominican Republic. That had kind of been a goal that sparked in me when I was 17 and went there for the first time and learned that Young Life was there. And then I ended up at Hope College because of all of that. Mm-hmm. And while I was at Hope, I stayed I stayed connected to Young Life as a leader. And then I actually had the opportunity to go back to the DR twice during my sophomore year. I went for a week on a missions trip. Mm-hmm. And then 
between my junior and senior year, I went and I interned with Young Life at the Young Life camp in the DR for the whole summer. Oh, cool. And so, yeah. And so when I was there, I approached the leadership mm-hmm. in Young Life and was like, I would really love to work here. And they're like, we actually might need someone. And so at the beginning of my senior year, I was working with the leadership in Young Life in the DR to craft a position that they were hoping for. And so I applied for that my first semester senior year. And I heard that I had received the job by like December. Wow. And yeah. And so after I graduated that next May, I did move home to Geneva, Illinois to start fundraising because it was mm-hmm. a fully fundraised position. And that took me almost a year because of how much money I had to fundraise. And in the meantime, I lived with my parents and my youngest sister. And I also waitressed and bartended at two restaurants in my hometown while I fundraised. Awesome. So that's kind of cool. So you basically wrote, I didn't realize that you had, you basically wrote your job description and, or helped them write your job description and then got hired yep. to do the job that you made up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was pretty wonderful. <laughs> that's awesome. So in that year time, you were just at home working, hanging out with the fam and then you are ready to go to the Dominican Republic. I assume you probably went with like the school year because Young Life is kind of based off the school year time frame. Yeah, I moved down there in September. Okay. Uh, middle of September. And so. what year was that? That was 2010. Wow, 10 I years know. ago. I know. <laughs> That's Be crazy. crazy. <laughs> Awesome. So 10 years ago, you moved Mm -hmm. down there basically almost because we're recording this in October. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So you moved down there and then what was your, I know you wrote the job description, but just for the listeners, kind of what what were the things that you were kind of on your maybe weekly to-do list or I don't know, what were you doing monthly to kind of just give them a little picture of what what your life was going to start to look like? Yeah. So My job was to help run Young Life for high schoolers and Wildlife for middle schoolers at a few English-speaking schools in the Dominican Republic. And and so I helped uh, recruit volunteer leaders and train them and love them and encourage them to spend time and love middle school and high school students and share with them about Jesus yeah, a day in the life looked different every day. I mean, sometimes I was a chauffeur driving leaders or kids around. Some days I was a chef making dinner for leaders or baking, you know, cookies for something. Other days I was an accountant or a fundraiser or yeah. In young life, you get to wear a lot of different hats, but um, yeah, I loved it. It was challenging and rewarding and fun and difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. 
So you you were there in two thousand from two thousand ten, and then what year did you leave? Two thousand fourteen, two thousand two thousand fifteen. Okay, so f- five solid years. Mm-hmm. How did your five years there working in Young Life Ministry help affirm your calling to serve in ministry, or did it? Yeah, so yeah, I think it definitely affirmed some things and also taught me what what I needed to learn or where I was lacking in in leadership or theology or just personal skills. Honestly, I'm reminded of the time where a dear friend of ours was killed in a car crash and it was devastating and has marked my life and ministry in a lot of important and hard ways. But I think that I've taken a lot away from that experience. And I think I didn't, I was like 26 when it happened and I wasn't prepared for such a tragedy. And I was mourning myself as I was trying to help um, others in our community and our students grieve. And, and so I learned at that moment that I needed God more than ever, that I needed my community more than ever. And also that I needed how to, I needed to learn how to react in crisis as someone in authority. And I still don't have all the answers for that, but I'm trying to learn as a pastor there are times like entering a global pandemic or times of death or crisis or divorce or, I mean, all kinds of tragedies that enter our lives. And I desire to be a, a place of comfort and peace um, that I can offer as, as a glimpse of what God offers and and so that's one thing, honestly, that I I learned during my time there. And it wasn't necessarily an affirmation of call, but more of a direction of where I might be lacking in my own abilities and pointing me to where I needed to learn some things and pray for guidance. Yeah. I think for me, like, I still can't talk about Megan without crying, so... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But it's like interesting. Or interesting is not the word, but but that's what I have. <laughs> it's interesting like when you go through something like that. It's only happened a few times for me like, when you meet somebody who has experienced something of that same magnitude, mm-hmm. but a different kind of death when it's not your grandparents, even though that happened to me the same year and still hard. Mm-hmm. But I think just grief. I don't think it leaves you, but it just becomes a part of your, I don't know, just a part of your life. And you just Mm -hmm. learn to live with that each day. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I took over your, sharing my stuff here. No, that's good though. And I mean, I, I miss Megan all the time. And she taught us so much about life and ministry. Yeah, so. definitely. 
All right. I'm going to move us on so I don't start crying again. (laughs) So that kind of happened in your closing, Megan, happened in the middle time of you being there, right? Did, yeah. So you were there for in the DR for a couple of more more years. And I think if I remember correctly, you had started grad school when when we were down there, right? I did. I started my last year there. Okay. I started in the distance program. So then what were you going to grad school for? Were you also going to Hope or were you going somewhere else? Yeah, so I was going to a seminary that's actually right next door to Hope. They basically share a campus. It's uh, called Western Theological Seminary. And I started in their distance program for a master's in divinity, uh, which is what I knew that I would need to be a pastor. And awesome. So, good old uh, MDiv. I know. Good old MDiv. So I, I started in the distance program, but then quickly realized that their distance program would take five years to complete. And I didn't have it in me to wait five years. <laughs> and then also at the same time, my parents had been going through a divorce and I missed my sisters and friends and family in the United States. And, and so we actually, I, at that point I was married and we decided to move back to the States so I could go to school full-time. And so I, we moved to Holland, Michigan so that I could go back to school. And it took me two more years after moving back to finish my master's. Nice. So that's just three years total then. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Hey listeners, some of you may have heard a big part of my story on how I started this podcast. During my day job, I get to listen to podcasts all day long as I work. The ones I really enjoy are the ones that encompass someone's story and their passions. Since I'm an avid podcast listener, I wanted to start sharing podcasts and podcast episodes that I've really enjoyed and that I think you may as well. This week, I wanted to share with you a podcast called The Global News Podcast presented by the BBC. In this podcast, you can hear today's top stories from the BBC News, delivered twice a day on weekdays and daily at at the weekends. Usually the podcast is about 20 to 30 minutes long, depending on the news of the day. One feature that I really enjoy is the variety of countries that are being reported on that I might not have heard about otherwise. In the same vein, you're able to hear the literal different types of voices from around the globe. I will link the podcast details in the show notes. So during that time when you guys moved back to Michigan, were you only going to school or were you starting to make connection with the church that you're at now? Or what, I guess, besides going to school, did you do anything else? Yeah, I mostly just went to school full time Mm -hmm. and I had an internship at Hope College in the campus ministries department but we did start attending the church that I am working at now pretty much right away. My husband was working at an alternative school in Grand Rapids and would come home. He really enjoyed the work, but it was really hard. And so he'd come home deflated and I would have spent all day in classes talking about Jesus and soaking up community and being filled. And he was just empty. Mm -hmm. And so I told him that, he could choose what church we would attend while we were living there. And we ended up at Maple Avenue Ministries because it 
honestly felt the most Dominican to us. They have a 20-minute passing of the peace where everybody stands up and walks around in in the sanctuary out of the pews and greets one another and hugs one another. And it's a beautiful time. It's also multicultural. It's about about 60% white and 40% black with a few Latino couples and families in there. And it just felt right to us. And so we started going there, became members, and we've been there for a little over five years. And I've been working there for a year and a half. Awesome. So then you said your, I forgot what her title, something of embrace or pastor of embracing pastor of embracing. Mm-hmm. She was already there. Cause you said she had, she had been at yes, the church for a long was. while. Mm-hmm. So when you were finishing up in school, did you have any idea that you were going, what you were like going to do next? Or did you, were you thinking about looking at other churches to become a pastor or part of their ministry team at, or what was, what was the next step? What were you guys like looking for? Yeah. So I actually didn't think it was even possible to get the job that I have now because we're a small to medium sized church, but we don't have a lot of money at all. And so there's one full-time staff person and I didn't ever think that they'd have the ability to hire someone else. So that wasn't even in my realm of thinking. So I had been applying to a few campus ministry jobs all over the States, but the week of finals, I found out I was pregnant with my first child. And, and so had just kind of decided to get through graduation, Mm -hmm. get into the summer and we'd figure it out. And then I had a really difficult pregnancy especially in the first few months I ended up in the hospital off and on. Uh, I have hyperamnesis gravidarum, which is what princess Kate has when she is royal. That's the only, that's the only, that's like the person who made it famous. And so is it like a swelling of your ankles or (laughs) no, it's, it's pretty much really super severe morning sickness. Oh no. Yeah. So anyway, I obviously couldn't look for or get a job during that point. And, and as I got better throughout my pregnancy, I ended up doing some more work at the seminary for some professors that I had worked for in seminary and then actually became one of the professors program assistant. And so it was a, it was a part-time job, but uh, once my daughter was born, I was able to do it from home or bring her with me. Um, Oh, that's great. And it was a really, it was a really great job. And I got to do some ministry work and some administrative work and work under a brilliant author and theologian. J. Todd Billings, if you've, uh, he just had a book come out actually a few weeks ago called The End of the Christian Life. And so he's uh, someone who's living with incurable cancer and writes a lot about death and, and faith. But I also worked on a book with him about communion and he's, he's written on a lot, but um, so that's what I did for the first year or so of my daughter's life and while I was pregnant with her and then my church 
ended up doing this capital campaign to raise money to hire a a part-time they actually weren't even looking for a pastor they wanted what they called a director of ministries but then once I got the job they were kind of like well you're already kind of one of our pastors I had been preaching there during seminary and know and love the community and so they decided to change the position and make it an associate pastor that's awesome so i've got to ask so in your case did you have to go do any tests to be bumped up to pastor reverend status or they just changed the job title or how does that work in your case i'm just curious yeah that's a great question so when i was in seminary i and i'm ordained in the reformed church in america which is okay. basically a den- denomination that's like a Dutch Presbyterian. <laughs> and so I'm not Dutch at all, but that's just where I'm living. And and so when I was in seminary, I entered into this ordination process. And each year I would have to take board exams. And then at the end of all of it, there was a final senior theology board exam in front of all these other pastors and and elders within the the Holland community. And then I was approved for ordination. But part of being ordained in this particular denomination is that I know I had received the call from God. Mm -hmm. And so then in order to be ordained, you have to get a job that's ordainable as the church's affirmation that, that I had been called. And so then once I got the position... I was able to be ordained, even though it was a year after I had finished my studies and my exams, I wasn't able to be ordained until I got the job. And then there was a beautiful service and laying on of hands. And my mom got me a robe and a stole that she put on me. and, And then I was, I presided over the communion table for the first time. So that's awesome. Yeah. Because I've seen and I saw like a post or something and you had to take a picture really quick and put on your collar thing. And <laughs> I think you just went outside and told my husband portrait mode and boom. Yeah, I needed a, I was going to be a guest speaker at something and I needed a like a face shot and I didn't have one, but I had just gotten a new clergy shirt. I actually only have one. I have a robe that I normally wear when I preach, but I got myself a clergy shirt, you know, with a collar. Yeah. And so I threw that on and had my husband take my picture. (laughs) Awesome. So I know you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but is there anything that you wanted to share about what you're doing now in your position, be some of your favorite parts of your job that you get to experience and maybe even all the way back from like, you know, when you were seven, now you're here, you're made for this and all the way back from then till now you're able to live this calling out. Is there any kind of highlights that you've had so far? I know it's only been a short time, but anything that you want to share with us? Yeah. I mean, no job's perfect, but I, I love mine and I'm so privileged to, I love the people. Um, and I, I feel like they're my family. We actually, uh, we use the term at my church, mammally, it's Maple Avenue Ministries family. Ah. And so, so they're like my mammally. We actually, we prop my, my family and I, 
my husband and my kids and I wouldn't be in Holland if it weren't for these people who are part of our church community. They're the people that we call when I end up in the hospital and we need someone to take a kid or, you know, and so that's been a highlight just as a member of this community. Another highlight, I just performed my first baptisms a month or so ago, which was so wonderful. I mean, we're in this, this time of COVID, you know, yeah. and so my church has actually only met twice since the middle of March and both times we're outdoors in person. We're, we've been online every Sunday, but one time was Labor Day weekend and we had had a bunch of babies born during or right before COVID, including my youngest son who was born three weeks before the shutdown. And so finally the lead pastor turned to me one day and was like, we got to get these babies baptized. I can't wait any longer to welcome them into the body of Christ. And so we planned this outdoor service. And so that we had four babies baptized, my son being one of them. And I baptized two of them and the other pastor baptized two of them, including my son. So I could just be mama while Judah was getting baptized. But that's definitely been a highlight. I, I love the sacraments of communion and baptism and when I was seven, eight, nine, mm -hmm. I memorized the communion liturgy, the words that the pastor says. <laughs> I like memorized them along with the, and I would say them along with the pastor under my breath. I'd like whisper them while they were doing communion. So just to be able to practice those sacraments in this community that I love and care for has been so incredibly wonderful and fulfilling of all these calls and goals and loves of mine. That's so awesome. That's so crazy. When you were eight or nine, just kind of mouthing the words to yourself yes, and now you're such a nerd. <laughs> up in the front saying them out loud. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so fun. That's awesome. Today's episode is brought to you by Romer Skincare. Based out of Chicago, Romer launched a clean skincare line that covers all of your skin needs. They proved that you don't need a million serums, eye creams to get better skin. Why we love them? Clean ingredients and effective results with just three-step routine that you and even your partner can share. I am so excited to have Romer Skincare as our sponsor today because coming soon, we will have Lauren Rome, founder of Romer Skincare, come on the podcast as a guest to share her story and her passion of creating a clean and simple skincare line. Right now, Romer Skincare is offering our listeners 20% off by using the code PASSIONPOD. That is P-A-S-S-I-O-N-P-O-D. On their website, RomerSkincare.com, that is R-O-M-E-R-S-K-I-N-C-A-R-E dot com. No stress, no clutter, just happy skin. So I kind of want to shift a little bit and ask you a couple of different questions. What are some myths that maybe you heard maybe from your growing up time or even now in your time of being a pastor that you've heard maybe just about your passion of, I don't know, either studying the Bible or becoming a pastor? Are there any myths that you have heard 
before you became a pastor that you're like, oh, um, that's actually not true? Or maybe common ones that you hear now since being in ministry in this pastoral position that you hear and you're like, uh, that's not true. Is there anything you can debunk for us today? <laughs> well, I think I already talked about one of them is that women can and should be pastors. Yes. Um, that is something I firmly, firmly believe. Hashtag she is called. That's, <laughs> that's a hashtag within my denomination. But it's just true. If there are any girls or women listening to this, you are called. As, as men are as well. But let's see, what else? I think one thing that I'm learning right in, right now and I have been learning over the past few years is that there's this notion that you can't be political when you're a pastor. Mm. That's kind of said. And, and I agree to, or I, (laughs) I agree to a point. I think pastors need to be careful about necessarily endorsing certain candidates professionally because that can just get really dangerous when we use our position of authority and power to lift up certain people and not others. But I think as a person, I'm allowed to be political and put signs in my yard or whatever it is, as long as I'm not using my office as a minister. I, I shouldn't be saying a certain candidate's name from the pulpit when I'm preaching a sermon. But I think I'm privileged enough to pastor a congregation that is really engaged socially and politically overall and asks hard questions. And so part of me believes that Pastors should be political because the gospel is political. The Bible is political and not partisan. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that Christianity is Republican or Democrat, but I think that we as pastors need to talk about issues that people are voting about. We need to talk about issues that candidates are debating about because if we don't talk about them, who will if if people want are are voting on certain things then then let's have their faith inform how they're voting if i'm making decisions politically my faith should inform those decisions and so i think as a pastor i am learning how to be political and not necessarily partisan but I can wholeheartedly say that Black Lives Matter because I believe that statement yeah. is true and and is based biblically. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that I serve a congregation uh, that firmly upholds something like Black Lives Matter and that other pastors might get in trouble for saying such a thing. So that's a hard myth to debunk just mm-hmm in this brief conversation, but that's, that's one other thing that I've been really pondering during this time of, you know, we're a month out from the 
as we're recording this, we're a month out from the mm-hmm. 2020 election. So who knows by the time this airs, what will have happened? Who knows? And, and we're in this time in our country of racial injustice and unrest and protests. And, and I think the church just can't be silent anymore. And, and clergy need to speak up uh, in ways that uphold um, the biblical truths and and ideas of hospitality and love and justice so that's really good i think that's definitely sometimes can be i don't know if polarizing is the right word or sometimes you're just this is it's you know it's like the big elephant in the room and in your pastor it's would be great to hear from them you know it's like looking for your guidance on something huge that's going on so i think that's awesome that this is something that you're able to live out with your church congregation so i want to ask you another question if somebody is listening to this podcast and they've been hearing about your passion to be in ministry and to be maybe to be in ministry or to be in pastoral ministry. And they're like, wow, this is something that's kind of resonating with me. Just maybe a few of the ideas that they've heard from you or different experiences. And they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, me too. Is there any kind of guidance or resources that you could suggest? I mean, just maybe taking a next step for them. Yeah. I would suggest reading all you can. I mean, anything, let's see, some of my favorite authors are um, Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. I don't know why none are coming to mind as I say this. Those two, top two. I would would also just suggest if you're interested in ministry, volunteer at your church, Mm -hmm. serve at your church in some way. And if that feeling is kind of confirmed in other people seeing your gifts and your passions of what you're bringing. Maybe seminary is, is a way forward and there are ways to look in into that and find what is best for you. And you don't have to go full-time, be a student nine to five. I started in the distance program while I still worked full-time for Young Life and kind of did it on the side and oh one of my favorite books that I read a few years ago but that's really popular right now is I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Oh no way but I'm starting a book club and that's our first book. No way! Have you read it? It's so good. No I mean not yet. Yeah well so I mean so that brings together ministry and racial injustice which is where I sit these days as a pastor in a multiracial congregation alongside a female pastor who is black and in the midst of all of this racial injustice um, and unrest and protest around us. So that's always, that's the book that I recommend to get started in the racial justice conversations. Cause I think she's just, she's wonderful, awesome, really relatable. Mm -hmm. She writes from a perspective in the Midwest, which is where you and I find ourselves. Mm -hmm. And she's a Christian and she loves Jesus and she wants to do ministry. And 
is trying to figure out how to do that as a black woman in the Midwest. <laughs> so, and then also, I mean, while we're just mentioning the race topic, my co-pastor just launched this new project called the First Corinthians 13 Project. It actually just launched three days ago as we're recording this, but she's been on this journey with some of us for a couple months now in developing this project that centers the health, healing, and wholeness of Black people Mm -hmm. and its resources and projects and a platform for ways in which people can engage with the, the questions and actions needed for racial justice. And there's a survey that that you can take that kind of shows where you might fall on the scale between an ally or a freedom fighter and, and just ways to learn as, as a white person, as a black person, there are resources for um, health and healing because of racial trauma. It's just, it's an incredible resource for the church, for, for individuals, for pastors, for congregations. And so I'm just trying to spread the word because it's, it's awesome. You can find it at onecore13project.com. So it's like 1 Corinthians 13, but it's one C-O-R 13 project. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you, Audrey. Yes. That sounds really awesome. Just from like a bunch of different sides and it sounds like besides just books, but having some self-discovery aspects as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us each week to listen to our awesome guests as they come on and they chat and share their story and their passions and how their passions have grown and evolved throughout their story. I am so honored that you would choose to download these conversations and listen every other week and invite me into your earbuds, your car, your Google home, wherever you listen. Thank you so much, friend. I am so grateful for you. Can you can you do me a small favor? If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, would you do that in whichever podcast player app you're listening to us on today? If you are subscribed already, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. It makes a huge, huge difference. I would love it if you could also possibly share the show with a friend. I find out about so many shows through recommendations from friends. Maybe some of you have found out about this show through a friend sharing the show with you. Lastly, would you please leave a rating or review over on whichever podcast player app you're listening on? Thank you so much. I know that these things may seem super small, subscribing, sharing the show, leaving a rating or review, but they make a big, big difference in new listeners finding the No Wrong Turns pod. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, for listening, and for cheering the No Wrong Turns pod on. Thank you again for subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the show. All right, so I have one final question for you that we ask all the podcast guests, and that is, what is fueling you today? What is fueling your passion? So this could be anything from, you know, something fall, like a pumpkin spice latte, if you're that kind of coffee drinker, (laughs) or (laughs) I don't know, a new book or a new TV show that you found on Netflix. So what's fueling you today? What's fueling you, your passion? Yeah. 
today, right where I find myself right now, walks with my family with the stroll, you know, the double stroller. We got oh, yeah. Because we got a two and a half year old and an infant. And so it's been sunny and the leaves are changing colors. And so that's feeling my soul. Also, my husband and I just started watching the newest season of the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> so that's our nighttime after bedtime, after the kids' bedtime routine. And I mean, I love pumpkin spice lattes and <laughs> apple ciders and all those fall goodness. Ooh, and my mom, this is it. My mom brought me a candle, a fall scented candle when she was here like a week ago. That is just giving me life. (laughs) That's awesome. I hope you're like just having it, you know, burn in the background. (laughs) My husband, he really likes candles, a specific scent from Bath and Body Works. It's actually sitting right next to me. It's called Fresh (laughs) Balsam. He just... I don't know if he's going to be happy about me sharing this, but he doesn't. I'm showing Emily right here. It is um, not burned, but he just, I'll just walk in. He's just, you know, smelling it a little bit. It smells like, you know, trees. It's like a winter forest and he just takes a little whiff and then puts it down. But he never lights it. Some of them he's lit, but he discovered he liked this. I got this candle as a gift. And then he discovered it and then he saw where it was from. There was a sale, you know, for like Cyber Monday or whatever. Right. And we ended up getting like four for the price of three. <laughs> so there's one literally in every room in our house. Oh, the awesome. bathroom, the living room, our second bedroom, the first bed, or I mean the first bedroom, the master bedroom. <laughs> I am, I'm trying to think, is there one in the kitchen? But the kitchen's in the middle of everything. So okay. it's like. So it just absorbs it all from everywhere. Yeah, you can just grab from really any room. Room. my goodness yeah so he just loves the candle even though he doesn't light it so or he, he's he's lit it sometimes but i think he's just rationing it maybe rationing yeah that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. he's wise in that way well i'm sure he'll really appreciate me sharing that <laughs> but emily thank you so much for just your time and just sharing your story and your passion your passions with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Andre. It's been so wonderful to be with you. Friends, I really enjoyed hearing Emily's story and how her passions, for the most part, have stayed the same throughout her story. But what I love to see is how God was showing up and doing things in her story and how he was using Emily's story and her passions. I thought it was awesome to hear how Emily's mom knew since she was seven years old that she was going to be a pastor, how Emily memorized the liturgy to whisper along with her pastor, and then how God took her passion to grow and shape Emily into the reverend she is today. One area I think Emily did a great job of was sharing on was towards the end when she said, We are in a time in our country of racial injustice and unrest and protests, and I think the church cannot be silent anymore clergy need to speak up in ways that hold that uphold biblical truths and ideas of hospitality and love and justice throughout our conversation i think emily did a great job at identifying the importance on how the church should be talking and taking part in issues that people are going going through and voting on the idea that political voting decisions should be informed by one's faith and not to leave those two areas compartmentalized 
I hope that we are all encouraged today through Emily's story and her passions. My prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. See the show notes for our music credits. All right, guys, enjoy your week. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. And I will see you back here next time with the Singing Sisters trio, Harmony Rhodes. Hey friends, you have just listened to the Narwhang Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host, and I am so glad that you are here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are bringing you new shows in your ears every other Tuesday. We always have on some awesome guests to come and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the Narwhang Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player so that you guys will never miss an episode. See you next time.